0: Today, I want to continue where I left off last week, talking about our theme for 2021, greater prayer, greater power, and greater presence. And this morning, I'm reading from the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16, I will begin by reading verses 16 through 26. And then we will, we will take it from there. Acts, chapter 16, verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer. That a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us Who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying These men are are the servants of the most high God Who proclaim to us the way of salvation And this she did for many days but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when our masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. Commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately, All the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Bow with me, please. Our God and our Father, we give you thanks today for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for its life-giving and life-changing power. I pray, Father God, that you will help us to not only hear your word today, but to receive your word into our hearts, into our spirits, O God. That the power of the word of God might be manifested in us and through us as instruments of the most high God. And so we give you thanks and we give you praise for it today in Jesus name and everybody said Amen. amen, amen. This morning I want to share with you a practical example from the scriptures. Of how greater prayer, greater power, greater presence, and greater works can all work together for a greater good. How greater prayer, greater power, and greater presence and greater works can all work together for a greater good. The Apostle Paul and his, the Apostle Paul and Silas, his missionary partner, are our teachers and examples of this today. This all begins in verse 9 of Acts chapter 16. And it says in verse 9 through verse 13, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And, I, and we were staying in that city, For some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who we met there. This incident that we are going to look at today happens in the city of Philippi. As verse 12 says, it was the chief or the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. And in the city of Philippi, there were people who had a custom of going to a riverside to pray every day. It was their custom. It says in verse 13, where prayer was customarily made. And so this is where we pick up the story now. And we are going to look at how greater prayer, greater power, greater presence, greater works all worked together For a greater good. So let's begin then in verse 16. Of Acts chapter 16. It says. Now it happened. As we went to prayer. So this incident happened. When the apostle Paul and Silas. Along with the others who were a part. Of his missionary team. Were on their way to the prayer meeting. That's when this happened. On the way to a prayer meeting. And in connection with that. Let me say that when you commit yourself to prayer, when you commit yourself to pray, expect the devil to show up. In some way, shape, or form, he's going to show up. Now, I like to say he shows up to get beaten up. Because that's what's supposed to happen. When he shows up, he's not supposed to beat us up. We are the ones who are supposed to be, to be beating him up. But take it from me. When you commit yourself to pray, the devil is going to show up in some way, shape, or form. Why? Because he knows the power of prayer. He knows if the people of God pray, stuff is going to happen. Things are going to happen. The devil knows this. He has great experience in this because he has seen down through the centuries. As a matter of fact, from the day God kicked him out of heaven like a flash of lightning. He has seen the people of God pray and he has felt the power of those prayers coming against him. Defeating him, casting him down, knocking him down and stopping his attempt To thwart the plan of God in the lives of the people of God. So when you commit to pray, the devil is going to show up. Prayer upsets, always upsets, the devil's program. And he will always try to disrupt it or stop it altogether. When you commit yourself to pray, the devil will do whatever he can to get you to stop praying. Because he knows that once you stop praying, you're no longer a threat to him. You could come to church seven days a week. You could carry your Bible. You could read your Bible. All of that and all of of those things are good spiritual things. But if you refuse to pray, then the devil knows that you will have no power. Because it is prayer that connects us to God. And it is prayer that releases that power of God in our lives. Whether we like it or not, that's simply the way it is. We can't change it. It's the way God set it up. He set it up for us to be a praying people. And he responds to those prayers that are prayed by his people. And so the devil will always try to disrupt prayer or try to stop it altogether. The worst thing that can happen to you and me, is for the devil to cause us to stop praying. Because our power source will be cut off. Our connection to God will be broken. And if you disconnect the power, your light's not going to come on. If you turn the breaker off, The electrical power in your house is not going to come on. And so if we allow the devil in his attempts to do so, to cut us off from our source of power by stopping us from praying, then he knows he's got us. But as long as we decide that we are going to pray, come hell or high water, just like Paul and Silas we'll see in a few moments, once we decide to pray, then the devil knows He's in some serious trouble. And so in verse 16, it says, As we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination, that's a demon spirit, possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Number one, she was a slave girl. Which means she was under somebody else's ownership. Somebody else was in charge of her life. She was in bondage to somebody else. I'm talking on the human side now. But not only that, she was possessed with a spirit of divination. So she was in a twofold bondage. Number one, she was a slave girl owned by somebody else. And number two, she was possessed by a demon spirit, a spirit of divination. So she she was in a, 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 a real tough spot. Now this spirit of divination, what is divination? Divination is the art practice or ability of discerning or discovering future events or unknown things by some kind of supernatural power. And it's also known as fortune telling. So when you talk about divination, you connect fortune telling with that. That's a person who will seek or try to tell you something about your future. Now the Bible has a gift of the spirit that can do that. This is not it. The spirit of divination is not it. The spirit of divination is something that is an action by the demon behind the divination. And so that's what this girl was like. And she told people's fortunes. She was a fortune teller. You know, that's the same spirit that operates in horoscopes. So put your sign down. Because the only thing those horoscopes try to do is tell you how your day is going to be. And who you are going to meet. And what is going to happen. That's fortune telling. And fortune telling is divination. And divination is an act of the devil. It's a a demon spirit. So stop looking at those horoscopes and reading those. They are exactly what they are. Scopes of horror. That's all they are. You You know how many people's lives have been messed up because they acted on some horror scope? They acted on something, some... Uh, um, 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 person exercising divination told them to do? If you are a Christian, open your Bible and let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what your day is going to be like. You know, and be led by the Spirit of God during the course of the day. Not by some diviner. Reading some horoscope, telling you where to go, who you're going to meet, and what is going to happen. That's a demon spirit. And so this is what was happening with this young girl. And not only that, she was being used by her masters for their personal gain. This girl was in trouble. She was demon possessed. She was a slave. And she was being used and misused and abused by the persons who owned her. Because she had the spirit in her where she told fortunes, and people were paying money to her owners to hear what she had to say. And so she was really being misused and abused. She brought her masters much profit by fortune telling, and so she was in trouble. Now, verse 17 says, This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now remember, she followed Paul and his team when they were on their way to the prayer meeting. So they are walking to the riverside to go to the prayer meeting and this girl is following them day after day. She's following them them, and she's crying out. These men are the servants of the most high God. And they are telling us the way of salvation. Every day this was going on. Every day that's what she was crying out. Behind the apostle Paul and his team. Now what she was saying was true. But the source of it was not. What she said was true. Paul and Silas and those, they were servants of the Most High God. And they were preaching a gospel that would show people the way of salvation. So what what she was saying was true. But the one who was saying it was not true. Because the one who was saying it was a demon spirit of divination. And so the Bible says that this man on for quite a while. And this is why we as Christian people, this is why we need to be spiritually alert. Because there's a lot of people that saying a lot of things today in the name of Jesus. There's a lot of teachings that's, that's going on in the name of Jesus. There are a lot of people who are calling the name of Jesus. And then you look at their lives, there is no connection to them, no connection to the name of Jesus at all. They are calling the name of Jesus because it is politically convenient. They are calling the name of Jesus to get support from the church. And so we need to be spiritually alert to these kinds of things. Because what this girl was saying was absolutely true. But the source behind it was not true. And the devil knows how to speak spiritual truth do you know that the devil even tried to use the word of God against Jesus Christ who is the word he tried to use the word against the word and it shows us his knowledge of the word and if you read that scripture there in Matthew chapter 4 then the then the devil tempted Jesus If you read that scripture, he uses the word correctly. He applies it correctly. And so he knows the word. And so we have to be alert when we hear things that are said that sound good spiritually. They sound churchy. They sound like like Christianity. They sound like scripture. Scripture. But we've got to have ears that are, that are spiritually alert so that we can hear not just the sound that's coming out, but we can hear the spirit behind the sound. And determine whether this messenger is actually a messenger of God or a messenger of the devil. And so this is what, this is, what is happening. A lot of drama is going on, you know. And the Bible says in verse 18, and this she did for many days for many days she walked behind Paul and Silas and those and uh, uh, proclaiming this same message for many days you know why it went on for many days because it sounded true and it was true so even the people in Paul's missionary group and Paul's missionary team didn't have a problem with what she was saying initially They just thought she was testifying about their ministry and encouraging people to listen to them. And so she did this, the Bible says, for many days. But then also in verse 18, the Bible says, but Paul greatly annoyed. After a while, something became unsettled in Paul's spirit something began to turn up in Paul's spirit. The Holy Spirit in Paul began to minister to him that there was something wrong with this picture. And so on this particular day, as they are going to prayer and the girl is following them and the girl is making her declaration, the Bible says Paul became annoyed. Something wasn't right. And then the rest of the verse says that he became annoyed, greatly annoyed, and he turned and said to the spirit, he's walking on the way to prayer and the girl is behind them saying the same message that she's been uh, 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 declaring for days and days. And all of a sudden, Paul's spirit began to turn up and Paul turned. She was behind them. He turned and then he said, To the spirit. He didn't say a word to the girl. He didn't tell the girl to shut up and be quiet. He didn't tell the girl stop following us. He didn't tell the girl what you are saying is untrue. So close your mouth. He said nothing to the girl. He turned around and he said to the spirit. Because Paul discerned that it was not the girl that was the problem. It was not the mouthpiece that was the problem. The problem was that there was somebody else, something else in her that was the problem. So when Paul turned, that's what Paul spoke to. That's who Paul spoke to. Not the girl. He spoke to the spirit. Now let me say this before I move on because some of us in living our Christian lives we run into some difficulties and problems with this kind of thing. So let me say sometimes people come against us. Sometimes people do things against us. Sometimes they become our enemies. And in order to deal with it we try to get back at the person. We start arguing with the person confront the person and we speak directly to the person and tell them a piece of our mind or tell them whatever it is we want to say and we deal with the person and then we notice that nothing changes next week they're saying the same thing next week they're doing the same thing nothing has changed and we wonder why But I told them, we say, but I told them, I confronted them, I said to them, but they're still carrying on with the same thing. And we forget that this same apostle Paul told us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but yet we try to fight flesh and blood because our human nature says attack the flesh and blood. But he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness in high places. The rulers of the darkness of this world. That's who we wrestle against. And sometimes when people come up against us, you have to look beyond the person. Because the person may simply be an agent of the devil himself. I didn't say that they were possessed by a spirit, but influenced by one. And so when we address the person and we don't address the spirit, nothing happens. There is no change. Because we haven't dealt with what the real source of the problem is. And so we attack the person back and we let the spirit go free. So they're right back doing the same thing the next day. And we conclude in our minds, boy, you know, this person is... They look like they don't intend to do anything. Maybe I need to call the police. You can call the police and the police will come and go. And the next day, the person will be doing the same thing. Because if they are influenced by a spirit, it's not until that spirit is arrested that the person will cease their behavior. And so Paul turns and Paul speaks to the spirit, not the girl. The girl was as innocent as could be. She was just demon possessed. Controlled and manipulated by men. Used and abused by men. And so Paul speaks to the spirit. The spiritual gift of the discerning of spirits is what began to operate in the Apostle Paul at that moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, we read about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom, spiritual gift, through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. That's the gift that began to work in the apostle Paul's heart. And that's why he became agitated after a while. Another mistake that we make sometimes is the Bible doesn't tell us That this gift of the Holy Spirit will enable us to discern people. The gift is the discerning of spirits. You can come to a conclusion about people because of actions or behavior that they do and you see. And you can come to a conclusion in your own mind that this is what this person is all about. But when we're talking about spiritual work, it's not a discerning of the person. It's a discerning of the spirit. That's the gift. And that's what functions. And that's what operates. And so Paul exercised this gift. And then verse 18, the latter part of the verse says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Remember what we talked about last Sunday about the name of Jesus? But here is Paul again exercising and using this name of Jesus that we associated with greater power, greater prayer, pardon me, on a greater level using the name of Jesus. And so Paul says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And the last part of verse 18 says, and he came out that very hour. It was a no all night. Paul spoke. Demon left. And you see, this is, this is the works that Jesus did that Paul is now doing. Because Jesus cast out many demons. And now here is Paul, who, ha- who has received the baton. One of those who have received the baton from Jesus Christ. And now he is also doing the works that Jesus did. He spoke to the demon spirit and the demon spirit came out. At the same time, Paul commanded him in the name of Jesus to come out. But now, not everybody is interested in in the welfare and the well-being of everybody else. There are some people who would rather you remain demon-possessed, as in this girl's case. Because of what you could do for them, what you could provide for them. And so the Bible says in verse 19 But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they don't care if the girl was just freed from a demon, they don't care if her life is now delivered, she is now a free girl. Not under that same kind of spiritual bondage. It meant nothing to them. The only thing they were concerned about is how much more dollars she could bring to them. And now that she is not able to be a fortune teller anymore, how are we going to survive? That's all they were concerned about. No concern about the girl or her well-being at all. They couldn't even rejoice with her in her deliverance. And so as a result of all of this, and this is the crux of my message today. As a result of all of this, Paul and Silas suffered severe persecution. Because they simply obeyed a vision to go to Macedonia end up in Philippi going to a prayer meeting preaching the gospel delivering a girl who was possessed by a demon spirit and setting her free because they were engaged in all of that they now end up in severe persecution my 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 so sometimes you don't have to be doing anything adverse or anything bad or anything that's not pleasing to God for you to be attacked by the devil. You could be in the middle of God's plan. In the middle of God's will. And the devil will still come at you. He doesn't have to succeed all the time. But he, he will come. And that's exactly what happens in this situation. And so the apostle Paul and Silas suffered severe persecution. And so there are nine things that I want to mention out of these verses and then we'll get to talking about greater prayer, greater power, greater presence. The first thing that happens is found in verse 19. They seized Paul and Silas. That's number one. They seized Paul and Silas. They did not legally arrest Paul and Silas. They went where they were and grabbed a hold of them. They took them by force against their will, seized these men, and took a hold of them. That's number one. The second thing that happened is they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. In other words, they dragged, they pulled them there, they carried them there forcefully to the marketplace. Now, as was customary in Eastern uh, 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 countries back then, most of the politics, most of the legal activity, most of the judges and uh, political leaders gathered in what they called the, the, the gate of the city. In this particular town in Philippi, they gathered in the marketplace. And there they did their politics. There they did their legal stuff. There they had their trials and so forth in that area. And so that's where they, that's where they took Paul and Silas. In to the marketplace because that's where the magistrates were gathered. That's where they were assembled to conduct court business and so they dragged these men there into this marketplace to the authorities and then number three the third thing that happens to them is that they were falsely accused so they brought them before the magistrates against their will and then they falsely accused them of a crime falsely accused them here's what the bible says verse 20 and 21 and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. So they're saying, first of all, these guys are foreigners. And they're here in our city causing trouble. They're troubling the city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans. Romans. Lawful for us to receive or observe. We are Romans. What they are teaching and what they are talking about, it's unlawful for us to embrace that. They are nothing but troublemakers. And so they cast this false accusation against Paul and Silas as though they were doing something that was against the Roman government and breaking the Roman law. They were doing no such thing. The only thing they did was go to prayer meeting and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ they were not attacking rome but that's the accusation that was made against them and also keep in mind as long as the girl had a spirit of divination and was able to do the fortune telling and they got money from the fortune telling they weren't paying any attention to what paul and silas and those were doing they didn't have a problem with it but since their income was cut off because the girl was now freed They decide that in order to get at Paul and Silas, we are going to lay this accusation against them. And it was a false accusation. It gets worse. Number four, the fourth thing that happened is they were not allowed to answer the charges against them. It's one thing to falsely accuse me. But the right and proper thing to do is to give me a chance to answer the charges. Don't falsely accuse me and then judge me. Give me a chance to respond to the charges. And after I have responded to the charges, if you still insist that this is what you are going to do, then I guess I wouldn't be able to do anything about that. But at least I would have had a chance to declare my innocency. They didn't even allow them to do that. Refused to allow them to respond to these false charges. It simply says in verse 22 that the multitude just rose up against them. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. They weren't interested in what they had to say. They just simply rose up against them. The whole multitude. And then number five, the fifth thing that happened is, when this happened, they were stripped of their clothing. The magistrates, verse 22, the magistrates commanded that their clothing be torn off of them. You're in a public marketplace. You're in the Marathon Mall. You're in Washington Square, downtown Bay Street. And the magistrates command that your clothing be stripped off. This is public humiliation. This is a public disgrace. We don't know whether they stripped them down naked or how far their clothing was stripped off. But we do know for sure that their upper body was stripped because that's where they were beaten, as we'll see in a minute. But publicly and openly, they stripped off their clothing. Come on, man. Number six. Then they were beaten with rods. The magistrates had their clothes torn off and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Beaten with rods. And then they had laid many stripes on them. And so they were beaten with these rods. If you look it up, you will see that these rods were specifically designed for this purpose. These were not just some limbs cut off of a tree. That might have been the beginning, but they were formed into rods that were specifically designed to beat prisoners or to beat criminals, I should say. And the the magistrates commanded that they be beaten with these rods. And it simply says they laid many stripes on them. Many, many stripes were laid on them. Now, the Jews had a law for whipping criminals, And that law was that a criminal could only be lashed 40 times. 40 lashes of the whip or the rod, as in this case. That's as much as you can give a criminal. But the Jews were so strict about their laws. They wanted to make sure that they would never break this law or violate this law and end up in trouble themselves. So their practice was to stop at VIP number 39. To make sure that they didn't run into a problem of giving that criminal 41 lashes. So rather than risk that, they would stop at 39. That's why the apostle Paul said of the Jews, five times received or three times received by 39 stripes. And so that was the law. But listen to me today. The Romans had no such law. The Romans didn't care how many times they whipped you. How many times they lashed you. How many times they beat you with the rods. They had no law. They had no limitation on the whipping at all. And so the Bible says they laid many stripes with with, with the rod on the backs of Paul and Silas. And then number seven, the seventh thing that happened is they were thrown into prison. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. They were thrown into prison. No trial, just declared guilty, beaten, and now thrown into prison. Verse 23 says, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And then number eight, the eighth thing that happened is, they were placed in maximum security. When the jailer received this command, he put them into the inner prison Or maximum security. Now the Roman law was. Once the Roman judges turned the criminal over to a jailer. If that jailer ever lost that criminal. Or if that criminal ever got free. The jailer paid with his life. You died. If your prisoner got away. And so to make sure. That Paul and Silas could not escape. He put them into the inner part of the prison. In maximum security. And locked them in there. And additionally, the last one, number nine, they were locked down with their feet in stocks. So he made doubly sure that they could not escape. Mind you, they already have chains on them. That came with the territory. You went to prison, you were chained. Not like how we do prison here today. Or in America. You go to prison, you went to prison with chains on you. And then the jailer decides, you know what? Just in case, just to make sure I don't lose my head. I'm going to lock their feet in stocks. And stocks were made out of huge pieces of wood. Very heavy. And they were made out of two strips of wood. And they would put the prisoner's ankle in the holes on the wood at the bottom. And then put the other piece on the top and lock it in. So the, the stalk would be over your ankle area. Your foot would be on the other side of, of the stalk and your leg on this side. So you, you, you could never get that foot out. Locked in the stalks, could never get out. And so if that jailer had you sitting on the ground, you'd be in trouble. Because the way they built the stalks was to, to, to make sure that there was additional punishment and pain. And so when they put the holes in the stocks in which your feet were going to be locked, they didn't just put them in like this. So you could be a little comfortable. They spread the holes out. So when they lock the feet in the stocks, it'll be more like this. So you're stretched. All your inner muscles in your legs are stretched. And the longer you are in that position those muscles are going to have problems. Something's going to pull. Something's going to cramp up. And you can't move. And so that's where Paul and Silas were. And that's how they were inside of this prison. Locked right down. Listen to me this morning. I want to ask, today, I want to ask you a question. If that was you, what would you do? What would be your response? What would you do if that was you? You were just captured by force. You were just dragged before a kangaroo court, falsely accused, and declared guilty without a trial. You were just publicly humiliated by being stripped of your clothing. You were just mercilessly beaten with rods. You were just thrown into prison, into maximum security. You were just locked down with your feet in these stocks. What would you do as a Christian? What would you do? The devil, I'm sure, felt as though he had them now. I've got them now. They came to Philippi to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I have them now. I have them locked down. What would you do? As a Christian. Well, let's learn from Paul and Silas. Because the great persecution, this great persecution, resulted in greater prayer. Don't shout me down when I preach in good. This great persecution resulted in greater prayer. The Bible says in verse 25, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners We're listening to them. What would you do? Would you be calling for the paramedics? Would you be calling for a nurse? Would you be calling for somebody to treat these wounds? Stop the bleeding? Ease the pain? Somebody please release me from from some of this bondage that I am in. Back here in the darkness of this dungeon. Would that have been your response? what would you have done as a christian paul and silas decided persecution or not bloody back or not stocks on my feet or not darkness in this dungeon or not we are going to pray silas no matter how we feel No matter the level of our pain, no matter the level of our hurt. Silas, let's do what we know to do, and that is to pray and sing praises to God. That's what they knew to do in times of hardship, trouble, and difficulty. I say to you this morning, E.T., what do you know to do in time of trouble, hardship, and difficulty? What is your first response? Who do you first call on? What is your first action? When your world seems like it's crumbling all around you. When everybody seems to be against you. When the darts of the wicked are flying against you. What do you do? Paul and Silas said, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And so Paul and Silas turned their prison cell into a prayer room and started a prayer meeting. In all of their physical pain and discomfort, they turned that cell into a prayer closet and began to pray. Body aching, mind perhaps all messed up because of what has happened. They decided they are going to pray. And you know what else the Bible says? This wasn't a quiet prayer meeting where they were praying under their breath. This wasn't a quiet prayer meeting where they wanted to keep the volume down. The Bible says they started praying and singing and it says that the other prisoners heard them. We don't know how big that prison was. But we do know that Paul and Silas were in the back dungeon. They were in the maximum security. So out front, there were obviously a whole lot more prisoners inside of that jailhouse. But when these men started praying, the Bible says, every other prisoner in that jailhouse heard them praying and heard them singing. Listen, man, when you're in trouble... You don't care about who's around. When you need to cry out to God, you need to cry out to God. And it doesn't matter how loud you are. When you need to cry out, you need to cry out. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas did. And they were praying to such a degree and such a level that the rest of the prisoners in the jailhouse heard them. But Pastor Caps, do you really have to preach that loud? Do you really have to pray that loud? God is in death. That's what people say. God is in death. But he ain't seen either. So when I'm loud and boisterous, it doesn't get God anxious. What's going to happen? God puts no instruction on how we pray to him. Whether we pray soft or whether we pray to the top of our voices, it makes no difference to God. There are some times when we are quiet before God, I understand that. And then there are times when we cry out to God. Naturally, I am a shy person, so I don't just be loud because I like to be loud. Sometimes I'm talking to God and it's just a whisper. It's me and him. And sometimes I'm talking to God I'm in a place and a situation where I can't verbalize what I'm saying. So I'm talking to God in my heart and mind. Because the environment that I'm in I cannot pray loud. But then there are times When the circumstances are so overwhelming and so challenging that all you can do is cry out to god to the tip top of your voice cry out to god let me give you this personal example and i've mentioned it here before at the church when my wife was pregnant with our first child she had some issues She contracted rubella, and those of you who understand rubella, they, they, can, they can do a whole lot of things about it these days, but when you contracted rubella, you didn't want to be pregnant because you risk the life of your child. She, she contracted rubella and had some other issues, and the doctor put her on bed rest. And one day the devil appeared to me, just like I'm talking to you right now. I'm not saying I saw him in person, (laughs) don't get me wrong, (laughs) you know. But the devil appeared to me, and you know what he said? I'm going to take your child. I'm going to take your firstborn, just just like I'm saying it to you now. That's how it was spoken to me. I'm going to take your firstborn. I got scared. Scared. I didn't say anything to my wife. I hopped in my car and I took a long drive out west. And I went out there, me one, and I stood on the rocks with the waves lashing up against the rocks. Just me, one out there. I couldn't care who was driving by. I couldn't care who stopped to see if this is a crazy man. I, didn't, I could not, I, it did not matter to me whatsoever what was going on. And I stand out there on the edge of the ocean. Looking out to the waves and cried out to God and lifted my voice as loud and as high as it could possibly go. And I said to God, No, God, no, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Devil, you cannot take my child, you cannot rob us of the Lord's heritage, you will not take my child and i don't know how long i was out there standing on the rocks crying out to god to the tip top of my voice she's 37 years old that's all i need to say see that wasn't a time for a soft prayer That wasn't a time for a quiet prayer. And you know, those things have their place in time. That was a time for warfare. The devil had entered the arena. The devil had entered the battlefield. And the devil had declared, this is what I am going to do. This is how I am going to take your child. That was a time for spiritual warfare praying. She's 37 years old. That's so how long ago that was. And so the prisoners heard them. You see, a greater level of prayer is what I believe they engaged in that was characterized by spiritual warfare praying. Praying in spite of being rejected and arrested. Praying in spite of being falsely accused. Praying in spite of being stripped in public. Praying in spite of a bloody painful back from being beaten with rods. Praying in spite of being thrown into maximum security. Praying in spite of your feet being locked down in in stocks. Praying that everything looked hopeless. That's greater prayer. Now let me speed up a little bit. Greater prayer results in greater power. You could mark it down. Greater prayer results in greater power. So what happens as these men are praying inside of that prison cell? The Bible says in verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. There are five things that happened in this verse. First of all, the Bible says suddenly, suddenly. You see, when you engage in prayer, greater prayer, when you engage in that kind of praying, you don't know when God is gonna move. You don't know how God is gonna move. The only thing you know is that you are praying for God to move. And we don't know how long Paul and Silas was, were, were in that cell praying. We don't know how long that prayer meeting went on. But the Bible says all of a sudden something began to happen. You see, you may say to me, Pastor Cash, I've been praying for this for the last five years and I don't see anything happening i've been praying for this for 10 years i've been praying for this person for 20 years and i haven't seen anything happen it doesn't even look like anything is going to happen there is no indication that anything is changing and i've been praying all these years but let me tell you something our responsibility is to pray the action as a result of the prayer is god's responsibility You don't know when God is going to answer. You don't know when God is going to move suddenly. You don't know when your suddenly moment is going to come. That's why you can't stop praying. No matter how weary you get. No matter how tired you are. You can't stop praying. No matter what you see with your eyes. You can't stop praying. Either you are going to believe God or you're not going to believe God. You can't stop because you don't know when your suddenly is going to come. Greater prayer, greater power. The second thing that happened in this verse was a great earthquake. Not a regular earthquake. 1.5 on the Richter scale. You know, you just barely feel a little shaking like what they had out east the other day. Y'all look at, y'all know what I'm talking about. What happened out there by Fort Monaco area? When they had an earthquake out there? But we ain't talking about that kind of earthquake. That's a tame earthquake. The Bible says a great earthquake. A great earthquake. This was a five or six on the Richter scale. This shook up everything. A great earthquake. And then the third thing that happens here in the verse is the foundations were Shaken. This earthquake shook that jail at the very foundations. Listen to me, when great prayer is prayed and great power is manifested, God gets down to the root of the matter. God gets down to the foundation of the matter. God's intention was to free these men from this bondage he goes down to the foundation and then you engage in greater prayer and God releases greater power whatever the foundation of that thing is whatever the root of that is the power of God will get down to the bottom of that and grab a hold of it and pull it out or yuck it out as we say as Bahamians that's the greater power from the greater prayer and it results in a greater work by a great God the foundations and the reason why some things never go away or some things keep happening over and over and over is because the foundations have not been uprooted and then the fourth thing that happens in the verse is all the doors were opened not just the doors to Paul and Silas's cell All the doors in the prison were opened. All. And then the fifth thing that happened is everyone's chains were loosed. Everyone. Every prisoner in the jailhouse, their cell door opened and their chains fell off. Greater power. At work. And lastly, as I wrap it up today, greater power results in greater presence and greater works. Greater power results in greater presence and greater works. Now watch this. The power of the Holy Spirit is in the cell. <laughs> Don't doubt it for one second. There's a greater presence inside of that jailhouse. Not just in Paul and Silas's cell, but the entire jailhouse. The greater prayer the greater power, now the manifestation of that greater presence and the greater works. The Bible says in verse 27, And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep. I would think an earthquake would wake you up. Awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, Supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew the Roman Roman law. That's it for me. So he would rather commit suicide than have the Romans deal with him. And he was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Not one prisoner ran out of the jailhouse. All the doors were open. All the chains were off. Not one prisoner ran out. Why? Because God was doing something in the jailhouse. The Holy Ghost was in the jailhouse. The purpose of God was being done in the jailhouse. They went nowhere. Verse 29, then he called for a light. That's the jailer. He ran in. And fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out out of that back dungeon. He brought them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved. This is the same man who threw them into that dungeon, who threw them into that a uh, uh, maximum security cell. This is the same man, but because a greater presence is in the jail, and the greater power is in the jail, and greater works are happening in the jail, this jailer now shares, what do I need to do to be saved? Let's read on verse 30. Verse 31. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. This is greater works about to happen. They not only tell him that you are going to be saved, but everyone in your household are going to be saved. There's not just going to be one salvation as a result of all of this. You and your house are going to be saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They shared the word. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. This is jailer, And immediately he and all his family were baptized. That's one thing. In those days, people of prominence often had servants. people who worked for them. If they were a kind of a business person that let's say they had a farm, then they would have laborers who worked their farmlands. And once you worked under somebody with some level of prominence like that, they were considered a part of your household. So the Bible says, not only was the family Of the jailer said. But verse 34 says. Now when he had brought them into his house. He set food before them. And he rejoiced. Having believed in God. With all his household. This is the greater works. This started off with one jailer. Then his family. Then his household. Greater works than these. Shall he do. Now let me close with this. The unrecorded story. That's not recorded in the book of Acts 16. What happened to all the other prisoners who were also freed? The Bible doesn't tell us. We know they didn't all run out on escape because Paul said we are all here. Let my let my sanctified imagination run a little bit with you. This isn't in the Bible. But I believe, based on the circumstantial evidence of what I have just gone through, I believe that Paul also had the opportunity to preach the gospel to the rest of those prisoners. You think Paul was going to walk out of that jail with a bunch of prisoners in there, who needed to hear the gospel. And he wasn't going to preach the gospel to them. You think Paul was just going to tell them. Bye bye see you all later. I guarantee you he preached the gospel to them. And I believe all of them got saved. Every one of them got saved. That's not written. But then you are talking about God. And a man like the apostle Paul and Silas. In a situation like this. That's exactly what I believed happened. So that whole jailhouse, we're talking about greater presence and greater works. That whole jailhouse, after the Holy Spirit invaded that jailhouse, that whole jailhouse became a place of salvation for everybody who was there. That's what I believe. I know the jailer and his family and his household were all saved. The Bible says that. But I also believe all those prisoners were saved as well. Greater prayer. Greater power. Greater presence. And greater works. That's what I want this church to believe for in this year. I don't care if COVID-19 remains with us for the rest of this year. The church doesn't have to come to a standstill. The work of the church doesn't have to come to a standstill. The prayers of the church doesn't have to come to a standstill. The power of God as a result of those prayers doesn't have to come to a standstill. The presence of God doesn't have to come to a standstill. And the works of God definitely Do not have to come to a standstill. And so that's what I want us to believe God for. We don't know what lies ahead. That's why we can't wait until the church gets full of people again. We can't wait around for that. We have to work with who's here. Because the work has to go on and God wants to do stuff. But it is my prayer that every ministry in this church, every area of work that's done for God in this church would go after greater prayer, greater power, greater presence and greater works. I believe God wants to do it. I know he is willing to do it. And I know we can see it. Because that's just the kind of God that we serve. Stand to your feet, please.